Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, March 24th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Mourning and anger after the latest mass shooting in America. New details emerging about those whose lives were taken at a supermarket in Boulder, Colorado, as we learn more about how the gunman acquired the assault rifle used in that attack. As the coronavirus pandemic continues here in the U.S., a number of states opening up vaccines to all adults in a race against time before new variants of the virus take hold. And with the situation at the border fast becoming a major issue for the Biden administration, a closer look at what's being done to address the growing number of those looking to enter the United States. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with new details in the mass shooting at a supermarket in Boulder, Colorado. Authorities say the suspected gunman purchased a weapon less than a week before that shooting. That suspect then using the weapon to gun down 10 people both inside and outside the store. The victims ranging in age from 20 to 65 years old, including the hero officer who was killed as he ran towards danger. Friends and family are remembering the victims of the mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado, outside King Super's market. You can hear the somber notes of a cello. 20-year-old Denny Stong was the youngest victim. He worked at the store. He's my best friend. He's a brother to me. The oldest victim, 65-year-old Jody Waters, leaves behind two daughters and a grandchild. You could just feel like the love pouring out of her and coming into you and you you just felt the love. Officer Eric Talley died in the line of duty. He was shot in the head as he raced towards the suspect trying to save lives. Boulder's police chief choking back tears. This officer had seven children ages five to 18. I just had that officer's whole family in my office two weeks ago to give him an award. And so it is personal. Tally's police cruiser parked outside the police station and draped in flowers, becoming a makeshift memorial. Meanwhile, law enforcement continues to work the crime scene. Authorities saying the 21-year-old suspected gunman was born in Syria, but is an American citizen. He had purchased the AR-style weapon that sowed so much carnage only a week before, and that during that rampage, he wore a green tactical vest. According to the arrest affidavit, the alleged shooter methodically marched through the store and parking lot. Witnesses say he shot an elderly man and then stood over him and shot him multiple additional times. No one really ever expected him to do this type of thing because he was a cool guy, you know. He didn't have, really have friends, though. Posts from the alleged gunman's now scrubbed Facebook profile show he made paranoid posts believing his former high school had been hacking his phone and made homophobic remarks in other posts. People chose not to mess with him because of his temper. People chose not to really talk to him because of all how he acted and things like that. Um, so, yeah, he was very alone. If he had mental health issues, uh, he also had easy access to firearms. At the nation's capital, flags flying at half-staff for the second time in less than a week. President Biden renews calls for assault weapons ban. I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, 
to take common sense steps that will save the lives in the future. In the Senate, a hearing on gun reform measures turned tense Tuesday. Thoughts and prayers are not enough. And yet, thoughts and prayers is all we have heard from my colleagues on the other side. Thoughts and prayers must lead to action. I agree. It is time for us to do something. And every time there's a shooting, we play this ridiculous theater. I don't apologize for thoughts or prayers. The suspect in Monday's mass shooting has his first court appearance tomorrow. And the mass shooting in Boulder is among at least seven mass shootings in the past week across the U.S., including three incidents on Saturday alone. And with expectations growing for elected officials to bring an end to the epidemic of gun violence in America, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin saying he doesn't see eye to eye with the two gun safety bills the House of Representatives passed this month. The centrist from West Virginia favors the less restrictive Manchin-Toomey compromise bill. He and Republican Senator Pat Toomey created it in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook elementary shooting. But that bill didn't pass in 2013. Manchin's stance shines a light on the division within the Democratic Party on the gun issue. The House bills that recently passed would have stronger background checks compared to the Manchin-Toomey plan. And joining me now to discuss what comes next in the ongoing gun control debate here in America is Robin Thomas, executive director of the gun reform organization Giffords Law Center. She testified at Tuesday's Senate hearing on gun violence. Robin, thank you so much for joining us today here at U News. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So at yesterday's hearing, you raised several proposals to curb gun violence, among them background checks and waiting periods. How do you think those measures would have those proposals prevented the events that we just witnessed in Atlanta and Boulder, Colorado? Well, we don't know all of the details yet about exactly what happened um, in Boulder in terms of how that shooter got his gun, what his history might have been, whether, whether there might have been anything in his past that uh, would have prohibited from him from buying a gun or whether something like a risk protective order could have been used to prevent that shooting. Extreme risk protective orders are temporary removals of guns from people who are in a time of crisis, whether it's a uh, risk that they might hurt themselves or others. And those laws have passed in 19 states. So there are these types of laws that can prevent mass shootings of this type, but we don't have the facts of this case yet well enough to know what specifically might have prevented it I will say that California has a 10-day waiting period on the purchase of guns. And since we know that this individual purchased the gun six days before the shooting, certainly California's 10-day waiting period may have made a difference if this individual was in a time of crisis and might have been able to get help. And we know that the man in Atlanta apparently purchased that weapon just a few hours before the incident. Now, did you walk out of that hearing feeling like something might be achieved this time around? I mean, we just witnessed that tense back and forth between Senator Blumenthal and Senator Cruz. You know, I am optimistic always that our federal leaders are going to take the action that they need to take and to do their jobs to make Americans safer. Um, universal background checks. There's a few different bills on the table, but I do think that there's universal background check bills that have a chance of passing and that would fill these gaping loopholes um, in our current system of how people acquire guns. So I think that is out there. And there's a few other pieces of legislation that I think 
have a good chance of moving um, around folks who try to buy guns and are denied uh, that purchase because of a prohibiting event and some other measures. So there's a number of pieces of legislation on the table. Um, I think any one of them might have some chance, but it's going to require our national leaders to step up and do their job, not to be taking the NRA and the gun industry money and talking points and acting not in the best interests of the American people. President Biden is calling for an assault weapons ban, but no one in Congress is talking about that specifically. Is banning assault weapons a good idea? Absolutely. I think that restrictions on assault weapons, there's, again, a few different ways you can do that. But in the same way that we regulate other dangerous weapons in the United States, um, including things like machine guns, there's no reason we can't regulate assault weapons more carefully and prevent shootings with them. You know, we've been regulating um, other types of very dangerous weapons for a long time under federal law. It doesn't mean individuals can't get them, but it does mean that um, it has to be well-regulated so that they aren't used in crimes like we saw yesterday. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has vowed to bring to the Senate floor two bills already passed in the House on background checks. What are the prospects of this legislation? You know, we're optimistic. We know that it's a closely divided Senate, so it's going to require bipartisan support. We know that there's going to be a hard effort to get that done, and especially in the wake of two mass shootings in this country. Um, the American people are fed up. We're seeing in the most recent election cycle that Americans are starting to vote on this issue in a way that is meaningful and holds elected leaders accountable. Um, with this last election cycle, seeing the kinds of changes we did in states like Georgia, I think that you're going to see a lot of people who are in the Senate and in the House being um, asked to step up and do what the American people want. You know, universal background checks enjoys more than 90% popular support by the American people. So this is something where our elected leaders are simply not representing the will of the American people. And people are fed up, whether it's school shootings, whether it's a shooting at a supermarket, um, you know, there needs to be better action. Now, President Biden also said he would take executive action. Would you support that? Absolutely. There's a number of things that the president can do even without Congress. Ultimately, we do need congressional action on a lot of these issues, but something like ghost guns, which are guns which are completely untraceable and sometimes even undetectable, there's a lot the president can do to regulate ghost guns, to have them treated as firearms, requiring background checks, requiring serialization. Now you can buy a partially finished receiver or frame and it's completely untraceable by law enforcement. That's the kind of thing that the president and the ATF can address without Congress. But we do still ultimately want and need Congress to take action. Um, I know the president cares about this issue. It's something he's been very committed to, something he's repeatedly stated um, is a priority for him. So we do expect that he'll do what he can within his presidential executive authority to try and make some progress. Well, thank you so much. Robin Thomas, executive director of Giffords Law Center, thank you for providing us with your perspective on this uh, concerning situation in the country. Take care. Thanks so much for having me. More and more states expanding vaccine eligibility as the Biden-Harris administration announces a major increase in deliveries. The hope is to beat a possible fourth surge as many states and countries report increases in cases and deaths. Lorraine Gussides has the latest. After weeks of decline, the World Health Organization now reporting cases and deaths around the world are rising again. Given that the Europeans are surging back up, 
that that is very clear that this is a risk that we will be doing the same thing if we don't pull back. In dozens of states, numbers are moving in the wrong direction. Michigan seeing infection rates similar to those in December during the holiday surge. Just in the last 14 days, a 112% increase in cases and importantly, a 52% increase in hospitalizations. This as a new report from the Department of Health and Human Services Inspector General reveals U.S. hospitals are in shambles after a year of dealing with COVID-19. Staff members feeling exhausted, mentally fatigued, and sometimes experiencing possible PTSD. The Biden administration is trying to beat the threat of a possible fourth surge, announcing plans to ship 27 million more vaccine doses. In 62 days since taking office, we've more than tripled vaccine output from 8.6 million doses to 27 million doses. States now expanding eligibility. Georgia now vaccinating people 16 and older starting today. Oklahoma, Texas, Ohio, and North Dakota doing the same starting next Monday. And at least 21 more states will be on board by the start of May. Once that expanded eligibility goes live on Thursday, appointments will no doubt be hard to find in certain regions of our state. We will continue to shift doses to the areas of highest demand as we have over the last few weeks. New York City relying on increased vaccinations to get back to normal. The mayor announcing the end of remote working for thousands of public employees. We're gonna make it safe. But we need our city workers back in their offices where they can do the most to help their fellow New Yorkers. And it's also going to send a powerful message about this city moving forward. Meanwhile, the controversy surrounding the AstraZeneca vaccine continues. The drug maker set to release more data in the next 24 hours after being accused by a review panel of cherry picking its information to demonstrate efficacy. The Biden administration announcing it will loan about 4 million of the U.S.'s AstraZeneca vaccine doses to Canada and Mexico as the company awaits official usage approval from the FDA. And the CDC is projecting that by April 17th, the death toll from coronavirus could reach up to 578,000. The agency is also carefully tracking and studying people that get infected with COVID-19 after getting vaccinated with special focus on seeing if new variants are creating resistance to the immunity the vaccines offer. Back to you, Andrea. Thank you, Lorraine, for that complete report. And in late-breaking news, Johnson & Johnson says it will fulfill its promise to deliver 20 million doses to the federal government by the end of this month. That announcement coming as the company confirms it was able to increase production. The FDA has authorized global pharmaceuticals manufacturer Catalan to produce the vaccine. Catalan currently fills and finishes the Johnson & Johnson and Moderna vaccines. J&J's shipments had slowed considerably since the first week of the month, but the new authorization will enable it to ship out millions of doses. And today we are learning that COVID-19 long haulers could experience neurological symptoms that last at least six weeks. A new study looked at 100 non-hospitalized patients with persistent symptoms across 21 states. Many reported neurological symptoms. The most common was brain fog, followed by headache, 
numbness or tingling, loss or altered taste, loss of smell, dizziness, pain, and blurred vision. 85% of patients reported having four or more of those symptoms, and they lasted about six weeks or perhaps even more. About half of these patients were evaluated via telehealth, which did not allow for a full neurological exam. And the COVID-19 pandemic has crippled the U.S. economy, but things would have been even worse without consecutive relief packages from the federal government. And that's according to the findings from the University of Chicago, Notre Dame. Researchers say the U.S. poverty rate was 11.2 percent in February, which is down from 11.6 percent in November. In February of 2020, which is right as the pandemic started to get a grip on the nation's economy, the rate was 10.7 percent. Experts say the $1.9 trillion relief package signed into law by President Joe Biden this month will likely cause poverty data to drop again, at least temporarily. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. A White House delegation is traveling to the border today after mounting pressure of its handling of a recent jump in migrants arriving at the border. Edwin Piti is live in Washington, D.C. with the very latest on this situation. Edwin. Hi, Andrea. That's right. I can tell you that today President Biden holds an important meeting with Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas and the newly appointed Secretary of Health and Human Services Javier Becerra. According to the White House, the core of the meeting is to revise a strategy to deal with the latest influx of migrants arriving at the southern border. As they met in the White House, a congressional delegation and several senior White House officials are traveling to the border to visit a care center in Carrizo Springs, Texas, where there will be limited press access. The visit comes two days after Texas Representative Henry Cuellar released leaked photos of Border Patrol stations holding minors in cramped conditions. The Biden administration had been facing criticism for its lack of transparency and lack of press access to these facilities. The White House has not provided a list of officials and members of Congress traveling to the border today, but sources told us that Roberta Jacobson, White House coordinator for the southern border, will lead the delegation. Jacobson just got back from a trip to Mexico where she met with Mexican Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebrard. Their conversations included ways to protect migrants and humanitarian actions to promote economic development in Central America to mitigate the root causes for migration. So far, Mexico has welcomed Biden's efforts, but they also believe policy changes have encouraged people to think that it's now easier to enter the United States. There are now more than 15,000 unaccompanied migrant children in custody of the Department of Health and Human Services and CBP, twice the previous record. Live in Washington, D.C., back to you, Andrea. Thank you, Edwin, for following these developments so closely. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, the Senate confirmed Dr. Vivek Murthy as U.S. Surgeon General Tuesday by a vote of 57 to 43. 
Murthy was part of Biden's Public Health Advisory Committee as the pandemic first took hold in the U.S. He also served as a co-chair of the president-elect's COVID-19 Advisory Board during the transition. This is his second stint as Surgeon General. He held that post under President Obama from the years 2014 to 2017. During that time, he helped lead the national response to the Ebola and Zika viruses and the opioid crisis, among other health challenges. But it's not all smooth sailing for Biden's picks. Democratic Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth is threatening to vote no on all of President Biden's upcoming nominees. She says she is furious at the White House over the lack of Asian American and Pacific Islanders in key executive positions. Duckworth says Biden will be the first president in 20 years without a cabinet secretary who is double API. Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii is joining Duckworth's opposition, which means the two senators' positions could impact Biden's ability to confirm his nominees in the 50-50 Senate. And another big story out of D.C., the top U.S. Census official for the U.S. is asking for patience. Several state leaders say they've waited too long for the release of this year's once-in-a-decade census data. But on Tuesday, Acting Director Ron Jarman told congressional leaders the COVID-19 pandemic and the lack of number crunching from the Trump administration are to blame for that holdup. If census workers move at their current pace, the information will come out five months behind schedule. Ohio and Alabama are suing the Census Bureau, asking for the process to be accelerated. Meanwhile, the Senate Rules Committee holding a hearing today on the future of a sweeping House bill that would expand federal protections on voting rights. The measure could soon head to the Senate, where it faces stiff Republican opposition. Joining me now to discuss all this is Jonathan Diaz. He's the Voting Rights Legal Counsel at the Organization Campaign Legal Center. Thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. Thank you, Andrea. Happy to be here. Republican state lawmakers have introduced more than 250 laws that would make it harder to vote. How unprecedented is this? It's a wave of legislative voter suppression at the state level that we haven't seen since before the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Um, Republican legislators across the country are engaged in a coordinated effort to make voting harder. Um, you know, in red, blue, and purple states, regardless of who won. Um, and the reason for that is that, you know, there really is no justification other than uh, to make it more difficult for people to vote. Talk to us about some of the measures that have been proposed in state legislatures, and have any of those restrictive laws been approved in state legislatures? Well, it is still early in the state legislative process, so there is still time for changes and amendments to be made. But some of the changes being proposed in states like Georgia and Arizona include eliminating the permanent early voting list in Arizona, uh, restricting early voting days in Georgia. And in some states like Iowa, restrictive elections legislation has already passed that not only reduces the amount of days for early voting, but also the number of hours that polling places can be open on election day. And these kinds of changes are not going to make our elections more secure. They're only going to make it harder for working people, for people in rural communities, for young people, for voters of color to access the ballot. Now, back to this House bill, what would this measure do exactly? So the For the People Act, which has been designated uh, H.R. 1 in the House and S. 1 in the Senate to show what an important priority is for the majority in both of those chambers, 
um, would set national minimum standards for ballot access in our elections. It would require every state to provide a minimum floor in terms of the number of early voting days, in terms of providing access to absentee ballots to all voters, not just voters of a certain age. Um, it would also eliminate partisan gerrymandering. It would, it would give the power to draw legislative and congressional district lines to an, a nonpartisan citizens commission instead of state legislators. It would also clean up our federal election system by imposing new transparency require, requirements for campaign finance and stronger ethics rules for federal government employees. Let's talk about Arizona. This is what Senator Chuck Schumer said at today's hearing about measures there. Let's go ahead and take a listen first. In Arizona, no fewer than 22 separate measures to limit voting rights have been introduced, including a bill to require every absentee ballot to be notarized. How are poor people going to pay for a notary when there's virtually no indication of fraud? It's one of the most despicable things I have seen in all my years. Shame, shame, shame. Clearly very upset over this. Can you talk specifically about what's happening in Arizona? Of course. I mean, Arizona is a perfect example of the senselessness of all of these new regulations. Arizona has had a robust mail voting system for decades, even before the pandemic. More than 75% of Arizona voters cast their ballots by mail, and there's been no indication of any kind of evidence of widespread fraud or other election integrity issues that would justify restricting voting in Arizona in this way. Um, the only difference between Arizona now and Arizona two years ago is that you know Joe Biden won Arizona, Democrats won Senate seats in Arizona, and Republicans in the state legislature are, instead of trying to appeal to more voters, are restricting who can vote. And that's just not the way that our democracy is supposed to work. And last but not least, Democrats don't hold the majority in the Senate. So what are the prospects of this bill becoming law? You know, I am a lawyer, not a political analyst, so I don't want to guess as to how any particular senator will or won't vote. Um, but I think that what the 2020 election showed us is that our democracy is too important uh, to not, you know, institute these incredibly necessary reforms to take, you know, the influence of dark money out of politics and to make sure that every American's right to request, cast, and have a ballot counted is protected. Um, you know, after the November general election, we saw more than 60 lawsuits filed by former President Trump and his allies trying to overturn the results of that election or, you know, seeking to have a court declare that our elections were tainted by fraud or were otherwise illegitimate. And all of those lawsuits were thrown out. Um, but we still need to be vigilant uh, because efforts in state legislatures to undermine democratic protections to the right to vote are popping up you know, by the dozens every day. And so what we need is a, you know, a really robust set of federal voting protections to make sure that our elections you know, truly represent the will of the American people. I put you on the spot with that question, but thanks so much for trying to answer it. Thanks so much for your time, Jonathan Diaz of the Campaign Legal Center. Thank you. And in other news out of Washington, the Biden administration is extending the enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act. Tuesday, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid said the new deadline for special enrollment has been pushed back to August 15th. 
The extension will give Americans more time to sign up or change their insurance in light of the increased subsidies from the recently enacted pandemic aid package. The special open enrollment period began February 15th to help people who had lost jobs because of this pandemic in order to get health insurance coverage. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.